Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, March 24th, 2023. It's been 3,313 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 394 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russian combat potential is fading across the entire theater of war, and the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective. Second, we assess that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut remains in a critical state and is fluid, but defensive lines have been stabilized. Third, We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, those are seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of cost. Fourth, we maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a perceived shortage of non-precision artillery munitions theater-wide. Fifth, We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Sixth, we maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of private military company or PMC Wagner Group and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Seventh, We maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is also actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. One year ago yesterday, March 23, 2022, was a pivotal day for Ukraine. Up to 70% of Irpin was under Ukrainian control, with local police taking up patrol duty. Russian troops in Bucha and Hostomel faced a technical encirclement, with Teterivske liberated and Russian troops retreating 25 kilometers in 24 hours as fighting to liberate Borodyanka continued. Ukraine had flooded the Irpin River, destroying multiple Russian pontoon bridges. Russian Colonel Yuri Medvedev was run over intentionally by a tank operated by his own troops during a mutiny and was severely injured. In the Red Forest of Chernobyl, Russian troops were inadvisably busy digging trenches and building bunkers. East of Kyiv, Russian forces fell back almost 50 kilometers towards Sumy. 
The Russian VKS destroyed a highway bridge over the Desna River, cutting the last supply line to Cherniv and placing the city in a technical encirclement that left residents fearful they were living in the next Mariupol. Cherniv and Kharkiv civilians were pounded by Russian artillery. Fighting for control of Izum and Mariupol continued. The Archip Quinji Art Museum was destroyed in Mariupol, and the mayor and city council fled. Russia shelled the Mykolaiv Zoo. Internationally, NATO went on high alert and sent troops to Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania, and Slovakia, and NATO held an emergency meeting of ministers attended by United States President Joe Biden. The United States Department of Defense reported that Russian Minister of Defense Shoigu and United States Secretary of Defense Austin had stopped talking. The World Health Organization, or WHO, reported that in the prior four weeks, 64 Ukrainian hospitals had been attacked by Russia. Ukraine captured a Russian Krasucha 4 mobile electronic warfare system allegedly capable of damaging satellites near Kyiv. The system would eventually be transferred to the United States. In Warsaw, after tit-for-tat expulsions of diplomats, black smoke rose from the Russian embassy as documents were burned. Russian journalist Oksana Baulina was killed near Kyiv in a Russian artillery strike. Reuters, Thompson & Toss, which had established a news partnership less than 18 months earlier, got a divorce. The RIA banned hundreds of Western news outlets, including Malcontent News. It is one of our proudest moments. Finally, the United Nations accused Russia of unofficially blocking Ukrainian ports and preventing exporting of grain and food-grade oils. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The situation was stable in the Dvorichna and Kupiansk operational areas, with Russian sources reporting minimal activity and the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reporting an attack on Sinkivka was repulsed. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The situation was stable in the Svatova operational area, with the only significant activity reported being the shelling of Ukrainian positions in Novoselivske. In the Kremina operational area, there was a small adjustment to the map. The GSAFU and Russian mercenary mill bloggers Wargonzo and Rybar reported fighting near Makievka. Wargonzo reported the attack failed, while Rybar reported Russian forces had reached the village. The office of the Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor came to the rescue with a video showing humanitarian aid being handed out to the residents of Makievka with conditions matching yesterday's weather. So Rybar wrote fan fiction while Wargonzo wrote reality, and we wish it were always that easy to verify reports. No changes were made to the map. Positional battles continued from Ploshanka to Zhitlivka, with Rybar claiming that Russian troops, quote, expanded its area of control near Ploshanka. We did not change the map, as no evidence was provided to support the claim. Orgonzo reported fighting near Kremina in the direction of Terni, which was unsuccessful. The Russian MOD reported fighting in the area of Dibrova. We made a small adjustment to the war map, moving the line of conflict 500 meters east, based on social media reports and NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRM's, data. We continue to assess the village as under Russian control. 
A video in the Serebriansky woods showed a Russian tank operating on our current line of conflict west of Shiplivka. Russian forces attacked Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, throughout the day, and reportedly took back part of the ridge northeast of the city. We made a small adjustment to the map of approximately 100 to 200 meters to the next tree line to the west. This goes against the report from Morgonzo, which claimed the Russian attack failed. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces increased the number and intensity of attacks on Verkhnokamyanskye with no change in the situation. In the Solidar operational area, BMC Wagner attempted to advance on Vasyukivka and was unsuccessful. In the Bakhmut operational area, the situation was described as, quote, unstable and difficult, end quote, with Russian and Ukrainian forces trading positions multiple times a day. Russian and Ukrainian forces made marginal gains in different parts of the operational area, but none were significant. PMC Wagner continues to attempt to overwhelm Ukrainian positions with superior numbers of light infantry troops without the support of armored vehicles. Russian losses continue to be catastrophic, and the ratio of Ukrainian to Russian casualties is estimated to be 1 to 5. Russia's mortality rate for the wounded in action is getting worse due to many being left on the battlefield for hours before evacuation and overwhelmed field hospitals. While anecdotal, the number of videos showing massive Russian casualties has increased dramatically, while Russian channels are rehashing videos from February. PMC Wagner renewed attempts to advance on Minkivka, while the intensity of attacks on Orikhovo-Vasilivka continued to fade. Wagner also attempted to advance in the direction of Novomarkova and Khyorivka without success. PMC Wagner continued to launch company and understaffed battalion-sized attacks on Bogdanivka in ferocious fighting. There weren't any significant changes to the line of conflict. Wagner mercenaries came within 50 meters of Ukrainian defense lines in one overnight attack. A fire mission was requested, and drone-directed artillery landed perfectly on the advancing formation, despite the proximity to Ukrainian troops. An entire Russian platoon was eliminated, rendering a company combat ineffective and ending the attack. Russian forces also attempted to advance on Khomova and reportedly were pushed back. We did not make changes to the map. There was intense fighting in Bakhmut with no significant changes. Ukrainian and Russian sources, except Rybar, reported that the heaviest fighting continued to be in the city's southern part. Fighting continued near Ivanivske with no change in the situation. The GSAFU reported Russian troops continued attempts to establish stronger positions on the west bank of the Siversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal in the direction of Predtechine and Oleksandrov Shultine. Without success, of course. In southwest Donetsk, the First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, continued attacks using ill-trained and unmotivated mobics with insufficient armor and artillery support. Attacks in the areas of Novokalinova, Krasnohorivka, Stepova, and Berdichy were unsuccessful. Novobakhmutivka has changed control, 
with Ukrainian and Russian sources reporting that Russian forces have recaptured the settlement. We adjusted the map to show this change of control and pulled Russian forces further away from Stepova based on Russian and Ukrainian reports. This does not represent a new change in territorial control, rather a correction due to better intelligence. To the south of Avdiivka, Russian forces continue to make large attacks with light infantry. Ukrainian drone unit commander Robert Magyar-Brovdy was transferred to the Avdiivka operational area. His unit is pounding Russian Mobiks who are exposed in open trenches, have no field commanders, and huddle together. There are numerous videos that we've decided from an editorial standpoint not to share because of how graphic they are and the senseless slaughter they document. And despite the lack of armor and artillery support and the drone attacks, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Avdiivka without success. The GSAFU reported another attack in the area of Lastochkine. There were also attacks on Sieverne and Pervomaiske, which were repulsed. Fighting near the Vodyana Highlands continued with no change in the situation. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces renewed attacks on Krasnohorivka while fighting continued in Marinka, entering the 14th month. We adjusted the map around Marinka, moving the line of conflict to Druzhby Avenue north of the reservoirs and moving it east in the area of the former poultry processing plant. Fighting for control of the Pobida pig farm continued with no change in the situation. In Mariupol, insurgents recorded at least 20 trucks carrying ammunition moving in the direction of Zaporizhia. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Ukrainian forces continue to attack using reconnaissance in force in the direction of Robotine. Rybar claimed that Ukrainian forces liberated Novodanilivka after Russian troops abandoned the settlement. However, this was likely an opportunity for them to unwind their map change from January 15th based on disinformation published by Russian collaborator Vladimir Rogov who falsely claimed at the start of 2023 that Russian troops had launched a surprise offensive, capturing numerous villages south of Orihiv and Khuliopole. Reporting fighting in Robotine while clinging to the claim that Novodanilivka was under Russian control was an impossible situation. At the time of recording, Ukrainian officials reported that six Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones had attacked Kriviri, and only one was shot down. There were no injuries, and the impact and damage have not been clarified. The poor showing of air defense with an 18% success rate came 24 hours after Ukrainian Colonel Yuri Ignat warned that certain telegram channels were inadvertently or intentionally sharing where gaps in Ukrainian air defenses existed by providing real-time information on missile locations. In Russian-occupied Militopol, Russian collaborator and police officer Serhii Skovirko was injured in a car bomb explosion in the city's center. At the time of recording, he was hospitalized and his condition unknown. There were no new updates on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. 
In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Natalia Humenyuk, Director of Communications for Operational Command South, or OCS, reported nine vessels of the Black Sea fleet were on patrol, including two frigates and two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to 24-caliber cruise missiles in total. In Russian-occupied Crimea, a Ukrainian partisan climbed a broadcast antenna in Khrushchevka and hung the Ukrainian flag on top. Two Russian Su-35 aircraft approached Odessa and fired two KH-59 guided cruise missiles. Both were intercepted by air defense. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces fired on each other's positions across the Dnipro River. Russian forces completed 74 fire missions, firing over 420 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire, striking the city of Kherson four times and killing one. Russian forces used incendiary rounds on the city of Kherson and struck the Kherson Regional Cardiac Center and the residential quarter in separate attacks. The Kherson suburb of Biloserka was heavily shelled while people slept, killing one and wounding four. Antonivka was also shelled, killing a 50-year-old woman in her home and hospitalizing another. Berislav experienced some of the heaviest shelling since the November liberation. Russian forces targeted and damaged the city administration building, the local history museum, the Mayak newspaper office, the Central Park, and the Church of the Assumption. On the Russian front, in Adamil, Sverdlovsk region, the building for the Russian VMP plant, which builds plastic components for Russian arms production, caught fire for unknown reasons. Pictures showed the entire facility was engulfed in flames. In a separate incident, the Yaroslavy motor plant, which makes rocket engines for Russia's nuclear missile delivery system, also experienced a large fire. Seven people required rescue. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Guess what, everyone? Dmitry Medvedev once again threatened the world with nuclear weapons, declaring that any nation that arrests Russian President Vladimir Putin due to his open war crimes warrant with the International Criminal Court, or ICC, would be conducting an act of war and would face immediate nuclear retaliation. Okay, quick question. Wouldn't that kill President Putin in the process? Look, we get it. You have nuclear weapons and like waving them around in people's faces. We don't care, okay? NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that due to the intensity of the fighting, the Ukrainian military is forced to use four to 7,000 artillery shells a day, saying, quote, At present, the combat was so intense that Ukraine's use of artillery shells, 4,000 to 7,000 a day to Russia's 20,000, was outrunning Western manufacturing. President Putin doesn't plan for peace and is only planning for more war. End quote. Vadim Skibitsky, a spokesperson for the main directorate of intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, said that Russia had shifted its missile and drone strike priorities, confirming our assessment from last week. He predicted that military facilities and troop concentrations would be the new target while continuing to strike energy facilities and civilians opportunistically. 
In record time, Ukrainian troops finished training on the Patriot missile system at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, in the United States. The Ukrainian troops enjoyed their time and training and only had one request for the future. They wished the commissary served more soup. Almost 8,000 Ukrainian paratroopers have undergone additional military training abroad, according to Colonel Oleksandr Kupinsky, head of the training center of the Airborne Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. The colonel said that the soldiers receiving paratrooper training were selected from the most trained and experienced personnel in the Ukrainian military. Training included operating various NATO-standard military equipment and combat vehicles and specialist training for demolition experts and snipers. Finland announced its 14th military aid package, which includes three more Leopard 2 tanks. Pilots with the Ukrainian Air Force flew four Slovakian MiG-29s back to Ukraine. While we appreciate the Slovakian government's great video showing the transfer, we felt it needed some enhancements. You can watch our version of the video on our Twitter, and it is of course linked with most of the other photos and videos we reference in our full situation report on Patreon. Fun fact, Russia declared that flying warplanes for transfer to Ukraine from NATO airspace was a red line that would result in military retaliation. So far, the Russian military has taken no action. Speaking of retaliation, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin said in his latest video that the ongoing fighting is exclusively against Ukrainians equipped with NATO-provided equipment and some, quote, Russophobic mercenaries. But there are no NATO troops. And he added he doubts that there are any Nazis in Ukraine. All three positions go against current Russian propaganda. DSHRG Rusik, which hates it when you remind people they are a Nazi organization attached to the First Army Corps of the Russian Federation, formerly the DNR, reported that wounded Russian veterans are going untreated by the Russian MOD. On their Telegram channel, the Nazi-supporting volunteer military unit wrote, quote, We see the situation in the hospitals of the Moscow region, where they refuse to remove fragments and bullets from the fighters. They refer to the alleged impossibility to remove them, forcing veterans to spend money in private clinics, which for some reason can remove elements that prevent them from continuing to fight. End quote. Prigozhin denied a Bloomberg report that, after Bakhmut, PMC Wagner would withdraw from Ukraine and focus on Africa, saying, quote, I don't know what Bloomberg is reporting, but apparently they know better than I do what we're going to do next. As long as our country needs us, we are fighting on the territory of Ukraine. End quote. In a stunning analysis by Deep State, using publicly available data from the Donetsk People's Republic, from February 24th to December 15th, 2022, the First Army Corps suffered over 35,000 casualties. That figure does not include those missing in action or prisoners of war. That is more than the entire force in the First Army Corps in 2019, indicating the DNR-based Army Force has suffered over 100% casualties in less than a year. DNR officials stopped publishing information on military losses on December 16, 2022. I can't imagine why, because all is going to plan, right? 
In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's incredibly brief report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. In Kostyantanivka, a Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack targeted a point of invincibility. The blast killed three displaced women from Bakhmut and a nearby village who were sheltering in the city. In geopolitical news, Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney, who many felt would cut aid to Ukraine if elected, blasted Italian PMs calling for the end of military aid in a fiery speech. Maloney was responding to MP Elisa Scutella, who had raised the possibility of, quote, stopping support for Ukraine. Addressing the MP, Maloney said, quote, Perhaps, Mrs. Kutela, you will inform Putin of this? I'm surprised you're telling us that. Why? This is surely a betrayal of our position, because it means that we approve of the invasion of Ukraine. Because if we stop, we are giving our consent. Let's call a spade a spade. We are approving the invasion of Ukraine. End quote. In economic news, Bloomberg reported that China has refused to support the power of Siberia 2 gas pipeline to China during negotiations with Russian President Putin. Chinese President Xi Jinping refused to make any further commitments for natural gas supplies from Russia because, according to a Bloomberg report, Beijing will not put itself in a position of dependency on Russian energy suppliers. Smart move. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.